Welcome to the Relentless Entrepreneur Podcast. They've been trying me, but I'm resilient for real. Follow your path to success alongside icons. I like all the profit, man. I hardly do percent. And industry leaders in martial arts and fitness. I'm a hard hitter. Hey, this is the Relentless Entrepreneur Podcast. Let's get it. And now, Adam Kiefer. All right. So we had uh, some pre-submitted questions. So we'll jump into a couple of those. And I'm sure you guys have some questions that you ought to uh, ask to the panel. Um, for all of us uh, up here answering, if uh, we can try and keep it to like two-minute answers each, three-minute. I know all of us are martial arts instructors and we love talking. So I get it. All right. Talk First question. How do you keep energy high for every class you teach? I struggle bringing my A game when I'm exhausted or overwhelmed. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'll start. Sure. Yes. Sir. So first off, it's never easy. What is though? You know, it's like uh, it, it start. It begins, I think, by by making sure that you step onto the mat with your center. And what I mean by that is, like, uh, if somebody said yesterday about how you know teaching is not a distraction from our day, it's what we do. Mm-hmm. And for me, it goes back to the instructor's creed, and it goes like this: I will teach this class because it's the most important class I'll ever teach. I am patient and enthusiastic. I lead by example, and I told that to myself thousands of times in those moments when you're kind of, you know, it's Thursday, your voice is shot, your assistant instructor didn't show up, you're dehydrated, and that kid shows up for class and he brings two of his friends, you know that class? (laughs) Man, it's all about, uh, you can't, if you find yourself thinking, you know, what's wrong with this class? There's no energy. You know what's wrong with it? It's me. And every time I kind of take a breath and remember what I'm doing and I imagine, hey, man, someone here, this might be their last class and I don't want to be the guy that taught them their last class. Uh, I always find a way. And the other thing, though, you can't do that forever. That's why it's so important that you train a team to help you so you can really be at your best. That was great. I have a good one. Is it easier for one person to inspire 50 people or 50 people to inspire 50 people? So when you create a culture in your class, and one of the most important things that we do with our white belts is we do structured power phrases and structured things like we were doing there, focus anchors. When you develop a culture where the students know that they're there to encourage each other, they're there to help each other, and you teach them those leadership skills in the beginning phases, then everybody is helping each other. And we do this drill and the structure training. And the difference between me just trying to motivate everybody by what I say, when you're actually encouraging each other, doing team drills, doing partner drills back and forth with each other, the energy in the room goes off the charts. You walk out on the floor, you walk through the, the um, hallway and you see you know, 20 people holding mitts and holding pads for each other or 20 people doing a drill for 30 seconds and they're cheering them on, encouraging them on, empowering them on. That class just sounds awesome. The energy, you're like, I want to be in there. So I would say just developing that culture is, is really important. Jody? Uh, for me, um, I have this, this, this ritual that I grab my belt and I pull it and I always tell myself, showtime in my mind. And then I'll say customer service. I'm like, customer service. It's my job to provide customer service. And the last thing I do, like, if I have the classes going down a little bit low in energy, I have a, a drill. I call it a Kimura. It's in my mind because when I first started learning jiu-jitsu, the first move I learned was a Kimura. It was like the greatest thing to me in the world. And I have these set drills in my head that no matter what kind of class I have, no matter what age, all, these drills always bring the level back up and I go right into the Kimura handbook in my mind. It's not a Kimura, but it's, it's a drill that got me so excited and I have these drills 
that I know is going to get the class going. So I go right back to that to start the energy and then I'm gone. I think that's important for everyone. We call that the break the glass, hit the red button drills. Okay. Like okay. To, same thing though, right? Same thing. Kamora is a lot shorter. Yeah, that's with you. And if I can say one other thing on this, and that is, is usually for me, it's just a matter of kickstarting it. Like if I'm not feeling it at first, within five minutes, it's there. You know, yep. Sometimes you just have to get it started. Yes, sir. Awesome. That's it. I don't need to say anything. No, I'm good. All right. Um, what should I go over in an intro and and or a mass intro to make it successful? Broad question. Mm. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I always look at what's my desired outcome. And I want someone to come in for their first time to walk off the mat thinking, hey, I could do this and I think I could be pretty good at it. And so kind of using that as my mindset for starters, I, I, I talked yesterday about the confidence spiral. I want them to be successful, but I want them to be a bit challenged. And so that's what always we would look for. And I want them to have that white belt moment, that aha moment with, man, this is cool. You don't always get it, but when that's what you're working for, you're more likely to get it than if you just do your kind of your road intro. I think that's why it's so important that you find out what people's uh, needs, what they're what they train for, where they're there. You know, they they will tell you one thing. You you all started martial arts for one reason, but you're still here for another reason, right? But when they first come in, you got to scratch their itch. You got to know what they're looking for. Two people standing in attention stands. One a parent wants their child to have better self discipline because they're all over the place. One wants them to be more confident. The attention stance represents two different things, right? So with one of the parents, I can say, look how straight your son is standing, how focused he is. Isn't that amazing? So if they have a the child with Scott, you know, that's all over the place, they're seeing, you know, how this is benefiting. If their child is shy and they're standing straight, look how confident they look. So really knowing what the student's looking for, but also what the parents are looking for, also will help you cater it a bit. I think those aha moments and those wow moments create an experience instead of a first class. I think a lot of people build the first class just on like, well, what do I want to teach them? And instead of like, how can I make this an experience that's different from anything else that they've ever done? Um, and those wow moments are the, the ones that mom has her video, her, I just said video camera. They don't bring those with anymore, but has her phone out with, right? And she's taking videos or pictures uh, and then sharing it and send it to, to dad uh, to show off the kid. And, I, and my wife even does it when I'm not at the school and my wife takes my kids to class. When there's like a cool drill or something, I get a video sent to me while I'm at work and I can look at it and be like, oh, that's awesome. I get to see my kid doing it still. But without those moments, I don't get those videos. Anyone else? No? I, I'll, yeah. Yeah. So I have done a lot of schools with mass intros. I love mass intros and mass upgrades. I think... For, for us, for the sales success of it, um, I always talk about the five powers of martial arts. So it's not me bragging about myself, but about the five powers of martial arts. Um, so the first one is, is obviously the fitness component to it, right? Being fast, strong, powerful. The, the second component is self-defense. There's no confidence like self-defense confidence, right? The third component is the um, character training skills, uh, which is important. The fourth component is uh, working as a team in a community. And um, the last one is fun. And we talk about those five different things that martial arts brings. And it just wraps it up really as a closing intro um, to help them see the bigger picture. And I found that's been super successful for myself and a lot of schools to kind of close it. Because, again, you're not talking about me. This is the power of martial arts. Think about the flexibility, the health, the fitness, and all those things and hit those. And it just, parents are like, this is awesome. I, 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 it goes back to what they just said, um, the core of it. Like when I'm teaching the intro or mass intro, I make sure that every move that I'm doing is a direct, I can make a direct connection with being off the mat. 
So if I'm going over jab, cross, sidestep, when I speak about the sidestep, I go, what happens when someone attacks us? We get off the line. Well, what happens when someone brings us negative energy? We get off the line. We sidestep them. We avoid them. And it's a direct connection for the student and as well as the parent where they can see how it's all relative to one another. And it's not just karate. It's the parent is getting something out of it and the student is getting something out of it. So just to reiterate what these two gentlemen said. Absolutely. That's great. I should have brought a notebook up so I could take notes. No, that's great. (laughs) All right. You guys have done this really, really well. How do you create successful instructors? Beat him. <laughs> Send Johnny it, it's, to the school. You count the kicks. Side kick yeah, yeah, Johnny, you, kick you count the kicks and then you go backwards. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Was not 100. That was 70. That was good. I was 62. Uh, what, I, what I think like, just, is drills as well. Um, I drill them all. I, so sometimes randomly I'll bring up, I'll say, okay, for example, I'll, one thing I'll do, I'll say between the alphabets A to Z, I'll say a letter, and they have to give me a story with that letter. So with a life skill. So I may say, oh, respect. All right, tell me about respect. Uh, B, tell me, you know, brilliant. You know, you can't use the same word. Uh, we'll do drill. I'll come up with it. I'll say to them, give me a front kick and a side kick. Make a drill right now. I kind of make sure they can be creative the whole time. Um, connect the drill to the life skill of that I just brought up within the alphabets and I just drill them on that randomly. Then I'll go over a drill that I like, I'll explain it, and then I'll say, give me a variation of it. And all five of us have to come up with a variation of that same drill. The drills that we love, we log them, name them, put them in the book, make that a part of the system. Jody, Z. Putting you on the spot. Yeah. Z. This is Uh-oh. this is gonna be crazy like a zoo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Zany zebra. Yeah. You know, you know, the, the instructor thing is key. I don't know if if any of us have figured out what, you know, I'm part of the ATA and we have a shit ton of schools. We have a lot of schools. Um, and I think the ATA does it really well. They have a curriculum independent of their martial arts skills to design to, to get an instructor. It's 300 hours worth of instruction, and, and it takes years, but it's done. And one of the best things I love about it is it, it's done for you, and you learn how to implement it uh, in your location. Who has a book that you can just go, hey, how do I teach instructors? And they go, here you go. And then they go, hey, come take this class, and we're going to learn how you teach instructors. Uh, and they've done such a phenomenal job with it. And if you took my review that I gave you, uh, some of the skills are in there uh, to make yourself a better instructor, to make your students a better instructor, uh, even if you're not in ATA school. So I, I kind of cheated the system a little bit, um, but they're in there because I feel like that's part of our industry figuring it out is making really professional career instructors. So I think all great stuff. And one of the things that I think is important is, is you plant seeds early and often. And what that means, it's never too early to have a conversation with somebody about potentially being a martial arts instructor. The worst thing that happens is they're a better yeah, student because of it. Way. So every time I see someone that I think has the potential, you know, I'll just go up and say, hey, you know, maybe you're that 12-year-old. You know, what are you going to do when you're a little older? What kind of a job are you going to get? They always say McDonald's. Well, you know what? You'd be a great martial arts instructor. Just you know, stick around for a few years and uh, what I'm looking for is someone's going to pay attention, be a fire starter, give his best effort. And if you plant a lot of seeds, a few are going to bloom. And that's number one. Number two, and I, I learned this from my son who, when he was 13 or 14, I had him step out on the mat to help me teach. 
And I'm looking there and I, I'm seeing, oh, good, Bobby and Frank and Julie are over there. I hate working with them. Let me give them to Alex. Right. <laughs> and then, you know, he goes, Dad, I don't think I'm a very good teacher. I don't want to do this anymore. And it took me years to realize that I set him up for failure by giving him the worst kids. Right. So what you want to do is you want to give him the best kids possible. You want him walking off the mat thinking, hey, I could be pretty good at this. Right. So first off, you got to give him some tools, too. And the other thing I think is really important is, is for people to understand that that parent in the stands that doesn't know what a uh, front kick is supposed to look like can still tell when it's sloppy. It's easy to make corrections. Uh, and instructors, unless they're told otherwise, they're going to walk out and they're going to start saying, bend your knees, get your guard up. Uh, and you know what? That's all cool. But to, the first thing that I want my instructors to do is to look for the good in the students so that they can learn how to make a, a praise because the, the correction comes naturally. And I think the last thing for me is we always talk about the victories and the whys because it's hard teaching, you know, 30 classes a week. But when you when you have your purpose in mind, like that, you know, you're changing lives and sincerely, I believe that. How many guys believe that? And, you know, if we can keep that front and center with our students, they're going to be more inspired to step out on the floor. That's good. That's why I use your book for our instructors. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Great answers, guys. Um, last pre-submitted question, then we'll open it up for questions from the audience. How do you truly give students a great experience? We do postcards, social media posts, birthday videos, calls, but I want lifelong students. Don't we all? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what, what are some of the things that you guys have learned over the years or, or put into place that creates the experience that kids want to come back to every time? Yeah, we all, yeah, we all have answers. I have two words, and I'll let the, the rest of the experts, two words. Lesson plans. <laughs> I'm going to start there. Usually about 40%. I like numbers. 40% of karate schools use lesson plans. Every class. Higher than I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. it's higher. Every class, every time. I think it's lower. You think it's lower? Yeah. yeah. I'd love to hear it. Um, every class, every time. That's lesson plans. I'm going to let them. I, I would say results. Like true confidence from confidence. I know that gets thrown out a lot now, but like really being able to throw a good kick and a real punch. Because you walk out the door and you're not able to do it. You know that. The kid knows that, right? Yeah. When they can hit a pad, they stand up straight. They look good. When they're successful, that true success and confidence that's what you get addicted to. And that's why you keep coming back. You know, the high five is great. And the motivation is great, but it's, it's the real moves. It's being able to do it. And I think when you build champions, they feel good. Love that. Love that. Uh, for me, I, I think it's also, I'm in the Bronx and uh, it's also addressing your demographics. You know, a lot, oftentimes, sometimes we have parents that there's, there's single homes and sometimes I'm the only male that these children deal with and speaking to them outside of just the punching and the kicking and just about how this is going to, how it saved my life, how it put me in certain, took me across the world. And I think that being that example for them, taking them out these days where we just get dressed up in suits, let's go have brunch, dinner, let's talk to address those needs that they have in their lives, I think goes further with the parents. Sometimes I sit them down, whether it's, this, whether it's me actually visiting their school, having to sit down with the children, telling them what it is to have, not having their father around. I've been in those situations. So I think them seeing you outside of just being an instructor, a big brother, an uncle, a dad, all those things that keep them around a lot, lot longer. Also along great stuff is, is that uh, I think expectations and feedback. How many of you guys have lost a black belt because you quit treating them, you quit calling them when they didn't show up, you kind of assume they're going to be around, right? And I think we all... Uh, you know, feedback is the breakfast of champions, always letting people know where they're at, where they stand, and also uh, 
refocusing on the next goals. I had a conversation with a guy that's been with me, came with me as a black belt, and he's been training with me for about 18 years. After staff training on Monday, I sat down and I just talked to him. And I go, hey, man, well, you know, what's your goals? What are you working on right now? I got a two-page email about, oh, that was so great. I'm really fired up because mm. I took the time. I assumed he didn't need this. This is a pretty motivated guy, but to, to sit down and ask him questions and kind of re-paint you know, paint where his future is. And, and uh, we all appreciate a little goal-setting session, and so we should do that more with all our students regardless of their level. That's awesome. All right, let's open it up to uh, questions from the audience. Oh, I'll pretend to be Bryce today, less muscular version. All right, sorry, Matt over here. Yeah, Tanner, that'd be awesome. Thank you. Hey, thanks, guys, uh, for everything. So, Roland, I know you've been posting a lot about self-defense lately, something you're thinking a lot about. Mr. Frank, you mentioned the Navy SEAL story. So I'm curious what your guys' current thinking on, on, on teaching that, because there is a lot of baloney in martial arts that, that just doesn't, it doesn't work or it's applied in, in the wrong way or whatever. So just curious what your current thinking is right now on how does it fit and how does self-defense fit into the overall um, future of where the industry is going and how we communicate and teach that to kids in a, in a way that's really effective uh, and is going to set them up for success. Because I think there is so much, we can't hide it anymore, right? Like it's on TV, it's everywhere. You, can, you can't teach the, the bullshit, right? Like you can't, because they know, they can smell it out. Um, so I just wanted to know, hear your thoughts on teaching that effectively uh, right now. And Mr. Frank, I'm curious what the Navy SEAL showed you afterwards it did to you. Uh, <laughs> no. no. Restomp no. the grind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I guess I'll start. So I think it's important to understand that not, very few of us are ever going to die in a back alley knife fight, right? Yeah. And, and although there's nothing wrong with learning that and practicing that, I love that stuff, right? I'm mean, a martial arts junkie. I love it. Uh, but it's really about you know, the most important type of self-defense is confidence, right? You know, we call it practice to fight so you don't have to. When a kid projects confidence, then anybody that age, what is a predator looking for? They're looking for someone that's not paying attention and doesn't look confident. And so if you can just teach your students to do that, you know, that's massive self-defense. So we really quickly do what we call the five rules of personal training. Number one is create safe habits. Analyze your day from dawn to dusk. Number two is to be aware but not on guard. Right? Don't be paranoid. Don't be naive. Be alert and aware but not be afraid. Because how many of you guys ever put the book, uh, Gavin DeBecker's The Gift of Fear? So I think it's the best book on the market for self-defense. If you haven't read it, put it on the top of your list. It's amazing. And he was an FBI profiler, and he went through It's It's really a brilliant book. And he talks about how true fear is a gift and unwarranted fear is a curse and understand and know the difference. And so it's step number three is, is trust your intuition. Teach your students to trust their intuition. If there's something that doesn't feel right about a situation, you know, like let's just say someone gives you the creeps. That doesn't guarantee that they're a creep. But your intuition is always right in two areas. Number one, it has your best interest in mind. Number two, it's responding to some stimuli. Okay, so to teach people to kind of acknowledge that. Number four is to take action. That's when we'll teach our self-defense, which usually focuses about three different types of levels of self-defense. I'm sorry, this is a whole seminar I'm doing really quick yeah, here. But, awesome. uh, <laughs> number one is escape. Escape. And the concept right. was in most circumstances, uh, our students are just trying to get out of a situation. You're at the park, somebody comes up, right? Your goal is not to you know, kill the bad guy, it's just to get to safety. So that's number one. That's most of the time. Number two is contain. That's trying to, Uncle Bob had too much to drink at the wedding and you're trying to keep him from hurting people. If you go, Uncle Bob, boom, that's not going to be good, right? Yeah. So that's when you, you, know, you, you, know, you, you, you take him down, you put him in a rear naked, you hold him until he calms down or something, right? Which, by the way, is the hardest. Or in law enforcement or corrections, something like that. Number three is neutralize. Somebody's in my house and they're trying to hurt my family, right? So I think that sets the stage up a little bit more. And then the fifth step for us is to learn from your experience and the experience of others. And that is when stuff happens or you hear about stuff happens, instead of thinking, oh my God, you know, you think, okay, interesting. How could, if we have gone back a few steps, how could you avoid it? Because how many of you guys know that friend that's been in a hundred fights 
he probably didn't need to be in 100 fights. You guys know what I'm saying? Maybe there's a couple. <laughs> and most of us are going to go through our whole life without being in a violent confrontation going forward. You guys with me? If we, if we, if we live smart, and, and, and that doesn't mean we shouldn't prepare for it. But the last thing I'll say is how many of you guys think the world is more dangerous now than ever? Yep. It's not, man. It's not. Do the research. It's, it's as not. safe a time to live as ever right now. I love numbers. Yes, right? Right, and that's my, I'm a criminology major, right? And that's, and cognitive dissonance. Everybody talk about it. I did, skipped it on my presentation. There's crime statistics from 1980 to the recent ones, 2017, 2018. The United States has one-third the amount of crime it had in from now since 1980. It's one-third. It's 67% less. We just hear about it all the time because it's so random and, and, and social media does that. And as a species, what made us survive is look, listening to bad news. Because if we had to know the village next door, right? Oh, man, what's going on? They might raid us. You know, the dog barking, if we, did, if we didn't wake up in the middle of the night to check the, the, uh, the locks, we'd be dead as a species because that's what kept us alive. And so we're programmed to that. But the reality is if you, if you create safe habits. Now, you know, viol you know, violence can still happen. Certainly we need to be prepared. But if you're alert and aware, you're paying attention, chances are it's going to be minimized dramatically. And that's all you can do really, is really stack the odds. Uh, to, to, to reiterate a little bit what Mr. Kovar said, the first thing he said was, you said, uh, Uncle Bob is at the wedding. You said, take him down, put him in the rear naked choke, hold him. First, we need to make sure our skill set is upgraded, yes, that, that we're able to do that, right? I think a lot of instructors need to know what it feels like to be a student again. This, the, the second thing is, what is self-defense? I think that's the thing sometimes that we have to remember as well. We, we act like if I get in a fight, unless I'm throwing a wrist lock in the throw, then it's not self-defense. Like, whatever it takes you to get back home to your family safely, it's self-defense. If I hit you with a sidekick, if I hit you with a cross, if I slip the jab, take whatever, whatever gets you home safely, in my opinion, is self-defense. Uh, oftentimes, we, I think it's, we think it's the person has to grab us and we got to do a certain technique. And I think that we have those things already in our martial arts system. It's just a matter of the route or the process or the approach that we take that determines if it's going to be good or the percentages are going to be in our favor or not in our favor. So I think it goes back to uh, expanding your skill set and using and putting the techniques that you already know in an effective manner. You got a whole curriculum coming up. Uh, my, my, my self-defense career is wild. So I, I, you know, as a lot of you guys know, I worked with Discovery Channel and trained with some of the like oldest living legends. I was in the military, uh, military in Russia. And my first lesson was you're going to get the wind knocked out of you and you got to defend yourself with the wind knocked out of you. Um, I went, did riot police training with, um, in Aikido. Um, out there, which was crazy. After doing one move, like 25 minutes, I couldn't stand up. They said, now this is when the fight starts. And they put like 20, 30 guys swinging at me. Um, yeah, I got choked out by Haley Gracie and trained with them. I went to South Korean Army and did their 28-minute obstacle course, which ends um, well, the rockets. Yeah. choking out the pilot well, after you climbed up and got in a helicopter. <laughs> and then uh, teaching little dragons for 25 years. So... <laughs> So for me, like, um, you know, everything you guys said is amazing. And the fight you always win is the one you never get in, right? And that's hopefully we can teach awareness and we can teach all those stages and all those things, which are great. Uh, we know the number one reason that people quit martial arts, adults anyways, was because they said they didn't get in the fitness they wanted and they didn't feel like the self-defense was realistic. So looking at those stats, um, I traveled around to a lot of schools looking at what was teaching in self-defense and... Um, I looked at a lot of testings, and a lot of times it's hard to test self-defense, you know, in a, in a testing atmosphere. We can do a form, and you can judge it, right? 
but how do you judge a self-defense combination or scenario or the combatives or the accuracy? So we try to take a look at a lot of like what fighting is and how to apply that, you know, across a cross might be a slip, you know, and, and, and all that, what a boxer would look like. What does a combat athlete look like? What does a self-defense athlete look like? Where is a hammer strike and an elbow strike and a hammer strike, simplified techniques put together uh, with a scenario and how do you create somebody who has that automated precision that has that confidence is able to deliver that with accuracy and precision and how do you make that fun? And how do you test that? How do you look at them and say, all right, I'm going to see your precision. I want to see your aggression. I want to see your speed when they do that combination and when they're doing those combatives and make them feel like they sweat and get that true comment. So that's kind of how we took a look at it. And then looking at schools, um, I have some friends who teach the special forces that teach teachers. You teach a lot and I'm going to their school and they have like 80 green belts that are crushing pads that are hitting things. And and for me, that's kind of what I was looking at. We're building a self-defense athlete or a combat athlete. The word athlete itself just means that you're ready to compete at any time, whether it's in a ring or in life, right? So we kind of take a look at that and take that approach, which is a unique approach I, hadn't, I haven't seen around the world. And I just tried to take the best and put it together to, to help all of us improve as an industry. And then I think like the mental mindsets. I think as instructors, like you said, having class plans, mm. we have a combat circuit, but then you also have that first lesson that he talked about. And then two weeks later, you have that second lesson that he's talked about. And three weeks later or four weeks later, you have that third lesson he talked about. How to sprinkle in that mindset of really creating somebody who can protect themselves, defend themselves. So Yeah. I, wow. Um, I, I like giving white like stuff, right? I like one thing. And, and there's so much. I, I'm excited about that program coming. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you one thing and then... What's the number one way kids in the playground get into fights? What's, what happens? Is it a punch? Is it a kick? What is it? Tell me. Drug war. It's close. Drug war. <laughs> I love it. I was in that business. Where that is. Yeah. Cool. Um, uh, uh, yeah. So lesson plans. I, I, I love lesson plans. How, I'll answer the question about self-defense, but how many people have lesson plans in every class? Every class. Oh, awesome. You. That's yeah, awesome. That's great. So maybe, maybe higher than 40, but I don't know. Yeah, but but, but these are the guys that are here, right? Yeah. Uh, you care, all right? I love it. Um, number one way kids get in fights in the playground is headlock. So if you want, yeah, I love numbers. If you want to influence your kid in self-defense, whatever curriculum you come up to, headlock. And, and teach, them two ways, teach, them, teach them the right way to get out of it. Sure, I'm in. Um, teach them a way to get out of it without punching back as a first resort because they're 11 and guess what happens when they punch back nowadays? They get suspended. Yeah, so if you can give them two things, right, or three or four or five, but you can start with a non-contact um, way to get out of it. Uh, listen, I'm an ATA guy. I have a blue belt in jujitsu. That was enough for me. Um, I did it because I felt like I had to do it. I hated every minute of it. It just wasn't my thing, but I respect it so much and it made me so much better. Um, but one thing, headlong, takeaway. Take I just want to add one thing, and I, I know, Dave, uh, you touched on this a little bit as well, is I, I think a lot of times we forget to teach de-escalation techniques. Like, Ooh, it's good. You can, avoid you can avoid getting in those situations. Like you said, the guy, my buddy that, from high school that's been in 100 fights, it's because someone yelled at him, and instead of him being able to de-escalate, he got in their face and started yelling back. 
it's not going to calm the situation down, right? And I just saw a report, actually Joe Rogan posted it this morning, that emotional intelligence is at the lowest level it's been in kids in, in history. So teaching emotional intelligence and how to recognize, process, and then make the right decision for kids now is huge. And then teaching them and actually having them practice how to de-escalate situations when it gets at a high level, right? And if you do that, you're keeping your students a lot safer, and hopefully they never have to use those punches, kicks, self-defense techniques, elbows, all that stuff. But still teach them that stuff just in case. I just want to add one thing. It's a story. I have a friend of mine. I'm a, any dudes, anybody practice Filipino weaponry? I've been doing it my whole life. Mr. Palin, of course, there's a certain thing in Filipino weaponry where it's a knife culture. Guys carry lots of blades on them, right? And, and I went through that phase for a long time where I did that. And I kind of thought, wait a second, what am I doing? I live in Carmichael, California. I, you know. <laughs> and what it really was, I was traveling. I was, had these beautiful knives I kept on forgetting in my bag, and I lose them at the airport. So I decided, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. And, uh, and so I'm having lunch with my buddy who's this hardcore, you know, uh, blade guy. And he goes... Hey, Kovar, you know, you, you know, what are you, what are you packing right now? What do you have on you? I, go, I don't have blades. You don't have any blades? I go, no, man, I don't. He goes, yeah, well, what happens if you get in a back alley? You know, and I, and I asked him, that's why I came up with the back alley knife fight. I go ask him, you know, uh, you know, so why do you train? You know, what, you know, man, you got to be ready because I want to live a long life. As he's eating a double cheeseburger and fries. <laughs> you, you guys get the, the, in other words, he's not going to die in a back alley knife fight. It's going to be heart disease, cancer, or something else. So if you're really talking about true self-defense, the whole element of health is really, I think, comes into the play. It, it comes into it because that more people are going to die of that than, 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 than the barroom brawl, for sure. This reminds me of that Lion King meme where they're both like looking at the pride lands and he's like, Dad, what's that area over there, that dark area? And he's like, that's the streets that martial artists are always talking about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> more questions? So you know that tiger that says, I have two questions. Um, so one of them is a follow-up on uh, Jody's talk yesterday um, or two days ago. I've lost track of time at this point. Um, the idea of figuring out the right places, the right personalities in the right places in your school. Like this guy's like the, the killer athlete. And, oh my gosh, but this guy's got the heart of an instructor and they've got to have some ability. Um, so it's for the panel, but it's targeted at Jody. Um, the the archetype of an instructor that you're looking for, and how, or and versus the archetype of hey, this guy's an athlete, but instructor <laughs> maybe not. Um, and so that's question number one. So, are you asking how do you determine that? Yes. Okay. Like, uh, what what are the signs? What are they? Okay, this one I think. Oh yeah, this one I think. Oh, watch out, red flag. Uh, I think to. Um Based on their temperament and uh, when I see them on the floor, uh, how they interact with other students. You know, I, I, have a, I had some, um, stop, some students that was like amazing, but they wouldn't share. They were the guy, like I told you, it takes 50 sheep to feed one wolf. They would always, they were the fighter, but the fighter runs out the brand new students because it's always their ego. That guy I would never use. But the, per and, and really, I don't, I don't necessarily look for a certain skill set more than I look for a character. I'd rather you be a great person, considerate, kind, somebody who wants to be there, not because you don't have a job, but because you love, you passionate about doing it. Those are the guys that I look for. I, I don't, I don't look for talent, right? I don't look like Freddie Roach was a mediocre boxer, you know, Customato, 
he was Stan Van Gundy. I mean, he coached the Knicks, excuse me. But I mean, but it's, I look for the person's information, their character, how kind they are, how passionate they are, how much they want to be there. Those are the things that I look for. And if they just happen to be athletic, even greater. But I don't look for, I don't look for a certain physical ability as far as him being a great fighter or her being a great fighter. Yeah. Character above everything for me. First, for me. Yeah, I think it's just, are they there to give or are they there to get? You want givers. Yes, sir. Good values. Yeah. I think we've all identified that there's kind of like three different black belts that you kind of want from the, from a, from an instructor standpoint, or maybe even just from success standpoint. Right. So obviously, um, somebody that knows martial arts, right. If, if that, that can be one black belt, but having the skill set of teaching is a completely different skill set. And so you've got to train people how to teach, how to connect, how to coach. That's like, that's a completely different. There's nothing more uncommon than great martial artists that are horrible teachers, especially if they're athletes. Like you talked about, we don't get all the athletes all the time, but when you get an athlete, they actually don't have to work that hard and they have a little bit of different work ethic when it, when it comes to like getting the moves down, right? They can already jump high. They have good chambers, they have flexibility. They have the mindset. They're, they're killers already, right? And so I've watched it. I've watched some, some of the top martial arts people teach a class or a seminar and it's terrible. And um, so, it's, so you definitely want to work. The teaching skills got to be amazing. And then obviously if you want to be successful in business, that's a whole different thing you have to train. But um, learning those skill sets as an instructor, it's important. Yeah. There's a book by Patrick Lesioni, I believe. Uh, anyway, it's, it's, uh, he talks about, smart. yeah, there you go. Oh. Humble, hungry, and smart. Love you it. Know, the ideal team player's name of the book. It's a great book. And Nick Kokinos, uh, you know, from EFC, he talked to, always programmed us. It's, uh, you're looking for attitude, intelligence, and dependability. Those three, two out of three doesn't cut it. Awesome. Love that. Humble, hungry, smart. I love that. Next question. You want to go to the side? Uh, so I'm getting to the point to where uh, I, I'm kind of working towards getting ready to own my first school. Awesome. And uh, I, was just at, I just want to ask you guys, when you guys were at that point in your life, What's something that you wish that you knew? Everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wish I had a mentor. Yeah. Yep. Really early. Yeah, me too. I wish I had a mentor as well. SOPs. Oh, yeah. Yep. Mentor. System. Can you imagine? If you find somebody that's gone back. through it. Right? Like, find somebody that's... Have a mentor. Uh, also, don't forget your why and, and, and how you envisioned your school. And I, and I would just say just out of my experiences... You know, I'll just give you an example. I remember um, a few years back, I had um, this big kickboxing, um, cardio kickboxing. I had all these people in my school, and I hated it, right? And I'm sitting there, I'm looking, and no disrespect, I'm looking, I'm like, I got all these women in here just trying to squeeze into a wedding dress, right? And it's driving me crazy. <laughs> and I'm just like, this is, this is not what I thought about when I wanted my school. But, but, it's, but I got a lot of students coming, right? And I told one of my blacks, I, I said, we're not going to do this for, for much longer. He was like, Sensei, why? Look at all these. I said, because it doesn't resonate with my soul. Like, it's not just the money. Like, this is not what I envisioned. Me spending time squeezing these women into their wedding dress is not my idea of what I wanted to do. And I removed that class. And my school grew. And I'm just going to tell you, as you get a mentor, remember what you want your school to look like, Right. 
Not just because you want the dollars. Remember what you want at your school and how you envision what you wanted in your school. That's the best advice that I can give you. And I would just also add, uh, you know, you got to be true to your heart and teach what you believe in, not what the latest trend is. It's never going to work. doesn't matter. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and just know this is going to be freaking hard. It's really going to be hard. But you really, what's easy? Where can you go make a lot of money, not have to work very hard and have this massive impact on your community? Exactly. Politics. It doesn't exist, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so once you know that, it's going to be hard. But you, you wake up every morning, you roll your sleeves up, and, and you uh, uh, yeah. start with your why and easy. bust your ass and good stuff will happen. I would say passion. You got to be really passionate about what you're doing with your why. Um, I don't really share this story often, but there was a time I had to take the toys out of my house and we had a garage sale just so we could make the house payment. And so when I got my first school, I thought, how do I fill this up? Because I don't ever want to go through that again, you know? And I started thinking, where, where are all the kids in the community? And they're, at a, they're in the school district. They're, they're a mile away. There's a thousand kids. And I thought, how do I get in the school district and make an impact? And that's where we created our first school talks that a lot of industry people use. And I thought, all right, once I found that most people, most parents would come in, or most parents, 1% of the population want to do martial arts, but 90% plus wanted their kids to understand how to handle a bully situation or to be kid safe. And we created a bully awareness program. We created the youth safety program. And I started doing free community talks and we're getting 20, 30 parents in. And that's how we were able to take one location from 125 students to 500 students, just really focusing on doing those talks and, and being passionate in the community and getting out there. But it's really, you gotta, you gotta push it. And don't, don't think you're just gonna sit in the office and do nothing. Cause there's so many yep. school owners that we talk to on a, on a, on a daily basis. that are like, I want to be successful, but they just, they don't have the habits for that. They're not willing to put that hard work and passion into it. So they rather themselves. You got to go, go all in, man. All in. Yeah, I would. Looking back at me when I first started running a school, I would have told myself remove the ego, because mm. I was young and I was like, I, I grew up uh, under my dad's school, and of course, family business. My dad tells me something, I do the opposite, <laughs> right? So when I had my own school, I was like, man, I know it all because I saw my dad do it. I know what to do. And uh, I didn't want to learn from others early on. So I'd say just be super open-minded. Um, and then secondly, no one's going to do the work for you. Just remember that. Like other, you, You'll look at successful martial arts schools and be like, man, I want to be that. They're successful for a reason because wh whoever's running that school, they did the work, right? So it's years of work to get there, but no one else is going to do it for you. No, that's it. Find that mentor. Steel systems. Yes. Oh, uh, steal them. My my 14 year steal anniversary them. is uh, Monday. Monday. See, <laughs> <laughs> right? 14 year karate anniversary, not wedding anniversary. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, 14 year first why, year in why business. Is your wife shaking her head no. Oh, okay. Oh. All right. Yes. <laughs> um, for, first year in business, uh, 837 dollar profit. 837. Some will, some will say, yeah. Right, find a mentor so you you can do so much better than that. Can I add one more thing? Um, and man, I, I blame the leaders in our industry for this. Uh, vanity metrics don't pay attention to them. Oh, so number of students you have, no, and your monthly revenue mean nothing if at the end of the day you're still living paycheck to paycheck and there's nothing in your pocket. 
you can't change lives with no profit. Okay? Super yeah. important. So when people say I have 500 students, doesn't mean anything because they may be given the last two me uh, family members free memberships. Mm. Then they have cutting away their profit, right? So just pay attention to the, the metrics that matter. Jonathan gave you guys a whole bunch of them today, right? Okay? Yeah. Pay attention to those numbers and, and don't worry about anything else. Cool. We got a time for a couple more. Roland, Dave, you guys said you've been to a bunch of other schools looking at their curriculums. What mistakes do you find in their curriculums, like to advance techniques in the beginning belts or teaching the age group the wrong techniques or skills? And what advice do you give to those schools? Uh, all of the above. So every time I've cut my curriculum back, first off, uh, I, I'm an originally an American Kempo sty stylist, and we had... You had all the curriculum. 22 forms and 400 self-defense oh. techniques to get my black belt. Ooh, what? Yeah, yeah, I'm not kidding. Fire. Wow. And the forms are about an hour and a half long, right? <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, I still know them all. I love them. They're like old friends. You know, they, you know I, I, I'm glad to know them, but I don't want to spend too much time with them. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and so every time, when I first time, when I'm about 20 years old, this is going way back, I cut the curriculum way back, and all the local Kempo guys, she's like, oh, you, you know, what are you doing? That's not the way it is. And But in my gut, I knew it was the right thing to do. My students got better. By the way, half those guys came back and go, what are you doing again? Let me see. How's that working? <laughs> and, uh, but every time I've cut my curriculum back, uh, less I think is better done well. You know what's fun? Being good at something is fun. You kind of touched on that earlier, yep. you know? And we used to think that, you know, more stuff is better. And you touched on the 26 letters in the alphabet, right? You don't Love need... That. Uh, you, you don't need more. You know, you got to keep classes, you know, the smile and sweat and learning rule, right? You got to keep them fun. But less done really well is, is always going to be like the, the best choice. But you have to have a really good lesson plan because otherwise you go back to the same exact drill you did last week for front kick and people get bored. So uh, that would be the, the nutshell version for me. I love what, um, what Jody talked about. And that's like the quality of the student, right? I think if you guys got that from his, his talk, quality over quantity and it's like taking that one technique and doing it 25 different ways. You know, disguise, the, the real disguise repetition. The real disguise repetition is not what a lot of instructors think where it's just changing the drill so the kids are happy. It's changing the drill because they're getting a new skill and they're getting that move and understanding it better. So when we take a look at somebody's curriculum, usually we just, we just start chopping it down and it's like we want them to be so good so they have real transformation. We say like every belt testing, every belt graduation is a life. Transformation, yes. So that transformation starts in every class. We talked about yesterday, and I give those six things that we, we look at at a class. So that transformation happens at the end of class. That transformation shows up at stripe testing. That transformation shows up at belt testing graduation, where they're transforming as a human being. And I think um, you just it's just pure math. You can't have that many techniques to make somebody good at it. What you can have is a lot of drills, a really good instruction, and uh, take one move. I mean, sidekick's one of my favorite moves. How good can we make that sidekick? Yeah. So, Jody, can you can you talk about your favorite chicken, and and how you relate it to? Because my 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 all my instructors listen to that podcast, and for for months till this day, they're talking about different flavors of chicken. Can you tell Can you tell them how they? You're racist. No, this doesn't. I do that with coming. Fired up. But as Mr. Colvin Rollins just said, that my philosophy is 
you, you ever watch the show The Iron Chef? They give those chefs the craziest ingredients and they find a million ways to make broccoli or so chicken, you can you can stir fry it, you can broil it, you can stew it, you can curry it, you can make it, you know, chicken tender. You could do it so many different ways, but it's still chicken. And that's how I look at curriculum. I think one of the issues that we have as martial arts school owners is that we teach memorization and we don't teach understanding. Understanding why, when, where, what's the distance do I need? What happens if he or she does this? That's the part, that's the years that we spend in the martial arts. It is the why. You look at two chess players, they got the same pieces. My rook moves the same way your rook. is our understanding of how those pieces work together that makes one chess player greater than the other. It's not a new, a new technique or a new piece that determines the differences. Who can work the pieces that they have the best and manipulate them several different ways? And I think that's where the curriculum needs to go back to in order to make sure that the, uh, the students become good as far as not just memorizing, but their skill set is actually a skill set. Yeah, you use the whole analogy. It was like you got to feed them different flavors of chicken, right? Barbecue chicken and lemon pepper chicken, and it's just chicken. You I, heard it. Man, the kids, they they ate that up. You heard when he talked about the, the, the guy with the knife with the double cheeseburger? Yeah. You eating too much chicken, man. <laughs> <laughs> For, that's awesome. For me, it was, you ever see your student do this? Uh-uh. No. ATA guys, I teach four forms. That's it. Four. Not the nine that you're fed um, for in years. Because I don't want this. No. -uh. That's it for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, Apply it. I'm going to comment on something Roland taught me early on, which you got to think about what do you want your black belt to be in your school? Do you want them to be the best at remembering the most or do you want them to be able to defend themselves easily do you want them to be a good person and then work backwards from your curriculum and man I, I learned that from Roland early on and that really helped us to build our curriculum out successfully yeah what is what's more fun memorizing something or training hitting pads bags moving around jumping over pads, whatever it is kick shit right it's like you don't want to sit there and just memorize a thousand moves and not be able to do any of them it's my friend, tradition. my, my friend Bruce Lee, right? Tradition. <laughs> Bruce Lee said, you know, he's he's more afraid of the guy that does, you know, knows one kick and has done it ten thousand times, right? That's an easy analogy versus somebody that knows ten thousand kicks and does it once. So yeah, just it's not even watering it down, man. It's just making the students good. If you look at, if you want to read a cool book, I guess it's kind of cool. We used it for Fight Club when we created it. There's a book called Fight Economics, and they actually studied the UFC's like thirty, forty, fifty thousand fights. And you know, like, What's the number one, I, I looked at it, I was like, well, there's only like five techniques that really win 95% of the time. And there's really like three techniques that win. And then there's, there's, there's like five submissions that win. And it goes down fast. Runic and choke is like the number one, right? Like, and, and then you look at how the percentage of arm bars that they get. And you look at like, you look at all the stats on it. And you're like, man, we're teaching thousands of moves. And these guys are mastering five. Five. How many right? low blocks won? What's that? How many low blocks won? There was a lot of low blocks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was curious. All right. We got, yeah, that's great. One, we got time for one more question. Oh. Yeah, uh, yeah, that works. Cool. Go deep. <laughs> right now, I got you. I got you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Johnny, you're up. <laughs> so, 
I actually have two questions. Um, one is the importance of having a curriculum. And two, how important is it to renovate your school after, let's say, seven or eight years? So I think all of our answers is seven, yes on years? the first one on the curriculum. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like you need to have it. Like Otherwise, you're blindfolded trying to hit a, a bullseye. Mm. Imagine a restaurant with no menu. Yep. Ooh. Yep. Wouldn't go back. You just walk in and they're like, cook whatever you want. Yeah. yeah. Rockstar planning. <laughs> that's, that's, that's it. The lesson plans are huge. We renovate like every quarter. It's nice to renovate and do something. I, I like to take a, a, a percentage of the testing fees and, and put it back into the school, whether it's revamping your bathroom or creating a new display, changing your display, things like that. I mean, if it's constant, I wouldn't wait seven, eight years to renovate your school. You know, you want new pads, new, new bags, new equipment. I mean, what do you like to walk into when you train? What's going to motivate you and excite you and make you feel good? This is the old rundown building or something that's, you know. When was the last time, when was the last time you painted your school? Just think about that. You know Disney, they paint every single day. So every night when the park closes, people go in and repaint every single day. That's why it always looks so clean all the time. And I've, I've been in so many schools where I see a handprint that's been there for like a year and a half on the wall. And I'm like, man, I was like, if they don't pay attention to those details, why would I trust them with the safety of my child? Right? My wife, she'll text me. If she goes to a place in the bathroom is gross. She's like, I'm never coming back here again. You do so, have an amazing bathroom. Yeah, our, our bathroom is really immaculate. Yeah? Nicest bathroom in the world right there. Nicest bathroom. I thought I was in the W Hotel. I was like, whoa. Yeah, that was amazing. The pal- yeah, I want some pictures. Yeah, you, yeah, you should upload some pictures. It's the nicest bathroom. Right. Literally. Those details, I, man. I, I, yeah, bathroom battle in the group today. <laughs> pictures of your bathroom. Pictures of your bathroom. So we used to, Mr. Casamassa and I used to play a game called Ninja Tape. And we would go to schools and we'd just take a piece of tape and we'd put it in the mirror, like off on the side, electric tape from, we'd take the stripe tape. And then like, we'd go back and it'd still be sitting there. <laughs> we'd go back, still be sitting there. And we'd make fun of them. Like, dude, that Ninja Tape's still there. It's like three years. <laughs> and then when, when we used to clean the school, he used to do that to us too. He'd leave little stuff all over the place, like a little Ninja Tape on the back of a chair, over here in the corner, walk in. It's like $5 deduction for every Ninja Tape I find. Not a fun game. <laughs> ninja tape. Ninja tape. You got anything out of this weekend? Remember ninja tape. Ninja tape. Ninja tape. That's, it. That's a home run right there. 